The Holy Gospel according to Luke. Now, about eight days after these sayings, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly they saw two men, Moses and Elijah, talking to him. They appeared in glory and were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Now Peter and his companions were weighed down with sleep, but since they had stayed awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Just as they were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three dwellings, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were terrified as they entered the cloud. Then from the cloud came a voice that said, This is my son, my chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone, and they kept silent and in those days told no one of any of the things they had seen. The Gospel of the Lord. Good morning. I don't know how many of you are familiar with it, but I grew up on the musical Jesus Christ Superstar. My mom introduced it to me and my siblings when we were pretty young, and we watched the movie version on VHS with Ted Neely and everything. Like, I was really into it. I had all the lyrics memorized and some of the dancing, too. I sang Mary Magdalene's solo at a talent show. I saw the play a few times when it was touring, like Ted Neely's retirement tour and the musical and everything. Half the time when we're reading the Bible in church, I'm like singing the scene that goes along with the musical in the back of my head. Uh, so Jesus Christ Superstar was a, was a big part of my formation. It's probably like half the reason that I went to seminary. <laughs> my mom tells this story of when I was little and first watching the movie, and I kept saying, that doesn't look like Jesus. And unfortunately, it wasn't because Tennelia is white and Jesus has much more in common with someone like Trayvon Martin than any Broadway actor. I hadn't learned that yet. There was something else, something about Tennelia that I just, I couldn't quite put my finger on. I couldn't quite articulate. He didn't look like the Jesus that I had imagined. But there's this moment in the movie, after Jesus is beaten and cast down into the pit, where this moment of transformation or transfiguration happens. The orchestra is swelling, playing the title track in the background dramatically, like, da, 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 you know it, yeah. And Jesus changes. In this moment, his wounds are healed, his face is washed, his robe is super white, and his hair goes from being like kind of stringy, to be neatly brushed and wavy and luscious. And I turned to my mom and I said, now that 
looks like Jesus. This week, we celebrate the festival of the Transfiguration. And although Jesus Christ Superstar, all things considered, was often at least fairly biblically accurate, Jesus' transformation didn't actually happen in a pit after being beaten by Roman soldiers in Jerusalem. It happened during his ministry, during the time that he was preaching and teaching and healing, around the time that he started predicting his death to the disciples. Jesus was feeling the escalating tension that the gaining visibility of the movement he was building was causing. And he knew that instead of backing away from the conflict, he was headed right towards it. Only a few chapters later is the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. So it's in the midst of Jesus' ministry that he takes three of his disciples up to the top of the high mountain where Jesus is transfigured. Together they encounter their ancestors, Moses and the prophet Elijah, And as a cloud overshadowed them, they hear a voice from heaven echoing the words from Jesus' baptism, saying, This is my beloved, my child, and instructing the disciples, listen to him. It is of note that the season of Lent is bookended by these two experiences of Jesus on a mountaintop. Today, in both of our readings, we experience mountaintops full of God's glory. The author of Luke uses words like dazzling to describe what was surely an ineffable thing to behold. Jesus is accompanied by Moses, who brought down the law from Mount Sinai, and the prophet Elijah, who experienced God on the side of a mountain in the stillness. There's a heavenly voice proclaiming Jesus' role as God's child, It's the stuff of movies. Little L definitely would have seen something like this and thought, now he looks like Jesus. But as we begin this week on the mountaintop and look forward on our journeys through the wilderness of Lent, we are driving towards the Jesus on the top of another mountain, Golgotha, the place of the skull. There... Jesus isn't surrounded by holy, ancient witnesses, but is abandoned by many who care for him. On this mountain, there is no sparkling white robe, but naked flesh striped red with bloody wounds. On the mountain of Golgotha, there's no reassuring, loving voice calling out from heaven. God feels far away, even to Jesus, who cries out, My God, Why have you forsaken me? The mountaintop experience of the cross is not the mountaintop experience of glory like before. It's a mountaintop moment of state terror, lynching, public execution. It is the valley between these two mountain moments, one of transfigured glory and one of suffering that Lent is situated. As we travel through the season of Lent, many of us are taking on practices that we hope might help us experience God in a new way. We are setting this time apart, intentionally stripping down the excess or disrupting our own status quo in order to encounter God afresh. On this journey through the wilderness, as we're seeking God, 
Remember that God does not often come to us in the ways that we might expect or recognize. Little L probably would have looked at the dirty, bloodied, brown man with hair like wool on Golgotha and said, that doesn't look like Jesus. And yet, that Jesus, that moment, was the truest expression of who Jesus is. Not every holy moment is set aside with booming cinematic voices from heaven that point out for us, this, this is where God dwells. Sometimes, like in our reading today, God is present in glory. But the clearest picture that we have of the divine is the one hung high on the cross. God is seen most clearly in the crucified ones in our midst today. God is being profiled, stalked for wearing a hoodie, armed only with iced tea and Skittles when he's shot and killed by a vigilante. God is grabbing the hands of her children in Ukraine, stuffing a few things into the closest bag she can find, and running towards Poland as bombs thunder in the sky. God is the transgender student in Texas whose parents fear letting paint their nails because they are terrified of CPS getting involved. God is being stopped and frisked. God is freezing on a park bench. God is in prison because he can't make bail. God is separated from her children at the border. God is rationing her insulin because she can't afford insurance. God is crouched behind his desk in his third grade classroom practicing active shooter drills. God is on the ventilator at the ICU. God is kept awake at night by the sounds of airstrikes. The people that our society crucifies and casts aside as disposable and try to forget, that is where God is. So if you want to be sure to see God this Lent, make sure that you recognize her. Make sure that you know what to seek, what to look for, so you don't miss it. The story of God's glory on the mountaintop today isn't the pinnacle of this story. The cross is. Amen.